I want to start this morning by asking the question, uh, why is it that our Christian life sometimes feels so phony? Why does it sometimes feel so fake? And here's what I mean by that. We go sometimes through the motions of worship and Christian activity. Uh, We profess to believe all of the right things. But sometimes it just feels like so many words to us. We, we, we want to get more out of our Christianity. We feel like we should be getting more out of our Christianity than we are. We know we should experience love, but instead we experience kind of an indifference to the needs of others. Uh, instead of joy, we're sad. Instead of peace, we're fighting. Instead of patience, we're impatient. Instead of kindness and gentleness, we're angry. And let's not even get started talking about self-control. Is this... Is this relevant to anybody? Do you, do you, ever, do you ever feel this sort of unreality uh, about your Christian life? We don't experience what we feel like we should be experiencing. And yes, some of that is just the process of sanctification. And we are still sinners. And it will be a battle until we get to heaven. But is that all we can hope for? Do we not hope for anything better than that? Let me give you an illustration that I think gets at one of the reasons our Christian lives can can feel so fake at times. I think it's something like this. I want you to think about the best Christmas present you got this year. Alright, and if Santa didn't give you anything good, then you know go back a few years. But but think about one of the, the best Christmas presents that you've ever gotten, that you ever received. Now imagine taking that gift and gladly accepting it and opening, you know, unwrapping it, and then looking at what you had in the box and being really excited about it, and then taking that box and putting it on the shelf. Um, our kids got a, a Wii U this year, right? They're really excited about that. But imagine if they had gotten that, unwrapped it, and gone, wow, this is really cool. We really wanted this Nintendo thing, I'm going to watch it. And, and, and they didn't hook it up to the television, and they just took it and they set it on the shelf, and they walked by it every once in a while and go, that's awesome, we've got a Wii U. But they never took the time to actually play with it. They never enjoyed it. I, I wonder if one of the reasons we feel phony sometimes as Christians is that we've received this gift and we've, we've unwrapped this gift, but then we've never taken it out of the box and it's just kind of sitting over on the shelf in our living room. And we think it's cool and all, but we haven't experienced the sheer wonder of what we have in Jesus Christ. In the prayer we're about to read, Paul is praying for the Ephesians and for us that we would experience some of that wonder. Uh, some of you may have seen the, the picture going around this week on Facebook. Uh, NASA took a picture sometime this month. It's the biggest picture ever of the Andromeda galaxy. You might see this. So it's just, just amazing and overwhelming to see how huge uh, that galaxy is, and, and, and you really realize, it's, it's almost startling to, to realize how big the universe really is and how small we are in comparison. But there would be a difference in seeing that picture and going, wow, that's cool, and hopping in a spaceship, kind of interstellar style, and flying through that galaxy, and, and really experiencing the wonder of that galaxy. I think what Paul is praying in his text is that you and I would know what it's like to get in a spaceship and take a ride through the wonder of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's read this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is God's Word. 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would... um, Help us to unpack this text now uh, and that you would really use it to help us see and sense the love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, our catechism pointed us to this, right? It said, what do we use to learn how to pray? Well, we, we look at all of the scriptures. And in the book of Ephesians, this is the second time in Ephesians that we have an example of Paul praying that we could go to. And I think one of the big things to notice before we get into this is that Paul is not praying for the circumstances of the Ephesians to be changed, although that would be legitimate for him to pray. At the end of the day, what he's praying is that they would know Jesus better, whatever their circumstances are, that they would get in the rocket ship and take a ride and experience the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ. And I want to, I want to break that down into three things. Uh, First of all, Paul prays that we would find our identity in Christ. Secondly, he prays that we would experience the love of Christ. And then finally, he prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So let's look at it that way. First of all, Paul prays that we would find our identity in Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at verse 16. Uh, He prays that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirits in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's praying that God the Father, out of his riches, will empower his people through the spirit so that Jesus will dwell in in their hearts and our hearts by faith. Now, what, What does that mean? Uh, here's how Brian Chapel put it. The Father wills for the Spirit to be the instrument by which Christ takes over our heart and provides our identity. The Father wills the Spirit to be the instrument by which Christ takes over our heart and provides our identity. So, so think of it this way. Uh, imagine that your heart is a battlefield and that Jesus has laid claim to that battlefield, to your heart. He's laid claim on your heart. He's, he's staked the flag in your heart, claiming it and you as his. But if you're honest, you know that there are a lot of things that, that laid claim to your heart before Jesus did. And a lot of those things are still around, right? They just don't head out of town when Jesus shows up. They still kind of, they're competing for your heart's affections uh, still. Trying to, trying to draw us away from our love for Christ. Trying, us, trying to get us to define ourselves by them and not by who we are in Jesus Christ. 
trying to get us to find our identity in those things and not in Christ. Um, here's how Lecrae put it in his song, Identity. Uh, hair, check. Shoes, check. A brand new fit, looking cool, check. I, I can wrap this if you would like. Or I can get Becca Fisk too. Um, I'm looking in the mirror like, ooh, yes, to cover for an insecure dude, check. But she won't feel me and they won't like me if I ain't in them J's or them brand new Nikes. Let's dig deeper inside my psyche. When it's all said and done, even I don't like me. We define ourselves, we, we find our self-worth in shoes and clothes and phones and cars and what our major is and what our job is and how much money we make. And yet, deep inside, we know there's something wrong with us and often we don't even like ourselves and we're just trying to use all that stuff to cover up our ick and our insecurity and our feeling that something's wrong. We're desperate for a covering. And this continues even into our Christian lives. Lecrae continues, he's a Christian, he gave his life, but he still ain't satisfied in the Savior Christ. Still finds his identity in looks and cars. If he only knew that he ain't have to look so hard. If he looked in God, it may seem odd, but he'd be so satisfied he can leave it all. And then the chorus is, I'm not the shoes I wear, I'm not the clothes I buy, I'm not the house I live in, I'm not the car I drive, no, I'm not the job I work. You can't define my worth by nothing on God's green earth. My identity is found in Christ. And that's not just a battle for teenagers. Uh, that's a battle for adults as well. That's not just a battle before you're converted, that's a battle after you're converted too. Um, we put our faith in cars and homes and shoes and clothes instead of in Jesus so that those are the things that actually dwell in our hearts by faith instead of Christ. And they don't really free you. They just serve to enslave you. Paul knows that we're weak. He knows that we're like that. He knows that those things compete for our affections so he prays that we would be strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. So that we would know and relish and live out of the fact that I'm bought by Christ, redeemed by Christ, a child of the Father by faith in Christ, forgiven by the blood of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, sanctified by Christ, in union with Christ. If you're, not, if you're a Christian, you're not defined by your successes and you're not defined by your failures either. You're not the clothes you're wear. You're, you're not the, the screw-ups you've made. You're not the bad decisions. You're not the pain. You're Christ. Uh, as St. Patrick's prayer says, Christ be with me and within me. Christ behind me and before me, Christ beneath me and above me, may your salvation, Lord, be always ours this day and forevermore. Paul is praying that we as God's people would learn to find our identity, our sense of who we are in Christ. Secondly, he prays that we would experience the love of Christ. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Whenever I read this passage, I think of this book we used to, to read our kids when they were younger. Uh, it's about a, a, a daddy rabbit and his son, and it's called um, Guess How Much I Love You. And some of you have read this, and I was trying to think of the name of it, and, and this will prove you can find anything on the internet. I googled Guess How Much I Love You Rabbit or something like that. Um, and, and found somebody reading this book on YouTube, and it had been hit 100,000 times. So anyway, um, in, the, in the book, the little rabbit says, Daddy, guess how much I love you? And he goes, I love you this much, as wide as I can reach. And the daddy, of course, gets up and goes, I love you this much, as wide as I can reach. And then the little rabbit says, I, can, I love you this much, as high as I can reach. And the daddy rabbit says, I love you this much, as high as I can reach. And the little rabbit says, oh yeah, I love you as high as I can hop. And the daddy says, well, I love you as high as I can hop. And then finally, as the little rabbit's getting sleepy, he looks up at the moon and he says, I love you all the way to the moon. And he starts to go to sleep. And the daddy says, I love you to the moon and back. All right, as, 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 as much as we may love God, he loves us that much more. And that's what that's, what, that's all Paul is trying to get across to us, and this is the love of God, the love that God has for us as his children. Philip Yancey tells a story, and I don't think it's a true story, but I, I think it's just kind of his modern retelling of the, the prodigal son. But he tells a story about a young girl who grew up in a very conservative family. Um, they, were, they were probably a little bit on the strict side. Maybe they overreacted to a little bit of the, the, the music she was listening to and the clothes she was wearing. And there's, you know, there's this conflict that, that, that so often exists between parents and children. But this has got really out of hand. Uh, and finally, she's grounded and she's screaming at her parents like, oh, I hate you. And, and she decides to run away. And she runs away and she goes to Detroit and she meets a guy with a nice fancy car uh, who takes her in gives her a place to stay, gives her some pills that make her feel good, kind of shows her the good life, and she's thinking, man, my, my parents really were holding out on me. This really is a better life here. He put her up in a penthouse and taught her to do some things that, that men enjoy and begin to, to uh, have her do that. And, and over time, she caught a disease as is likely to happen. And when she got sick, her boss kicked her out on the streets. Uh, at this point, she's uh, addicted to heroin. She has no other way to make a living, and so she continues to sell herself on the streets of Detroit until she is there homeless, sick, hungry, alone. And she decides, you know what, I, it's so much better at home. I need to go home. And so she calls her parents, and they're not there. And so she leaves a message on the answering machine and says, Dad, can, can I come home? I'm going to take the bus home. And if, if we're going to be there at midnight, and if you guys aren't there, I'm going to assume you don't want me to go come home, and I'm just going to stay on the bus and keep going all the way to Canada. And she took the seven-hour trip, not knowing if they would meet her there or not. Uh, the bus driver stops at the bus stop, says, "We got 15 minutes before we move on to the next, before we start going again." And she got off the bus and she walks into the terminal, and there she sees. Her mom and her dad and her brothers and her sisters and her cousins and her aunts and her uncles and her grandmother and her grandfather and a big banner that sells, says welcome home and they all have these goofy party hats on and they're, they're blowing their little 
kazoos and they're there to, to welcome her home and her dad walks toward her as he starts to say dad I'm, I'm so sorry and, and he says hush child we've got no time for that no time for apologies you'll be late for the party a banquet's waiting for you at home uh, it's just a modern rendition of the prodigal son but, but two points that's how much God loves his children if you're in Christ, that's how much God loves you. Secondly, the place where you experience that love of God is in community with His people. Uh, in, in the story, it's the whole family that gathers there and welcomes her back. In our text, Paul prays that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, not just by yourself, but with all the saints, the love of God in Christ. The, the church, the body of Christ, is, is where you tangibly experience the love of God. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you really believed those two things, if they're really true to you? If, if more and more you were finding your identity in Christ, if more and more you were growing in your knowledge of and experience of God's love for you in Christ, See, we, we always go back to we think we've got to buckle down and be more disciplined and have better habits and fight temptation and get accountability partners and, and all of that has its place. But the real issue is that our love for Christ isn't very great because we haven't realized how great his love for us is. There's a pastor who tells a story of, he preached this sin on battling sin and, and being accountable and fighting temptation and being serious in our walk with Christ. And he said this old man walked up to him after the sermon and, and this is what he said to the pastor. He said, I work with young men who travel on business. They are bombarded with sexual temptation of all sorts and they think that simply by sheer grit and willpower they will be able to resist. I have to tell them that they must pray that God will change the nature of their heart so they won't be able to resist. People do precisely what they love. And until they have a greater love for the things of God than the things of this world, they will not be able to stop. Do you see why what Paul is praying for us is so important here? He's praying that we would know who we are in Christ. He's praying that we would know how much Christ loves us. Because the only way you're going to love Him... The only way you're going to walk in obedience to Him, the only way that your life is going to quit being phony is if you grasp fully how much He loves you. The only way for your patience to be, your impatience to be changed to patience, the only way for your anger to be turned to kindness and gentleness is for you to be gripped by how much Jesus loves you. Um, and I, you know, I could tell 15 more stories to illustrate try to explain to us how much Jesus loves us. But the only way we're going to get it is if the Holy Spirit actually works and strengthens our, our very weak hearts so that, so that we grasp that and so that Christ actually dwells in our hearts by faith. By faith. And so we need to pray that. Pray for those things for each other. Well, last point. Paul prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God here in this very last verse. What does that mean? 
Uh, I read a whole bunch of commentaries this week, and I go, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. I still don't understand that. Uh, and then I, I finally listened to a sermon by a guy named Wes Newsom, who's uh, the RUF coordinator uh, for Mississippi and Alabama. And this is how he put it. Paul is praying that we will be filled up to the degree that God is a full being. Paul is praying that we would be filled up to the degree that God is a full being. Uh, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel empty? Do you ever feel like life is just pointless? Does, does nothing seem to bring you satisfaction or joy anymore? I want you to think about what Jesus prayed for his disciples uh, the night before his crucifixion in the high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prays to the Father this, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying, Father, I want you to take these people who are dying of emptiness, who are laying in the fetal position, curled up in their beds because they don't want to get up and face the day. I, I want you to work in their lives. I want you to bring them into the eternal, never-ending fullness and love that existed between me and you, that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. I want you to bring them into an experience of that fullness and that love. Paul is praying here, Jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer that you and I would be caught up in the, in the dance of love that exists and has always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're made for that. You're made to experience that love. Don't you want to know, don't you want to know that kind of love? Um, many years ago, there was an experiment in which a scientist, he took a rat and he put it in a cage by itself. And they put two little water, you know, drippy things like you feed rats and guinea pigs with. He put two of those little water bottles in the cage. <laughs> I'm not going where you think I'm going. We had a guinea pig die from water bottle catastrophe. Anyway, this is not that illustration. Um, this is not public shaming. <laughs> You're making me laugh. I want to go tell that story. So they, they, they put these two water bottles in with this rat who's there by itself. And one of them was just water. And one of them was cocaine or, or heroin, or maybe it's both. So one of them's drugs, and one of them's just water. And that rat, as you can imagine, kept going over and over to the to the cocaine, and it just got addicted to it until it finally died. Even though it was killing it, it kept going back to the same bottle. And that's what a lot of our kind of the way we think about addictions is based on is based on that research with that rat in a cage by itself getting high on cocaine. All right. So what we don't know about is that there's another scientist who said, okay, I want to change the experiment a little bit. And so he took like a whole bunch of rats and he made like a Disney World cage for rats with, with balls for them to play with and really good rat food and tunnels to go through and just a whole bunch of rats, a bunch of rat friends, okay? And so they're, they're all hanging out in this cage together and he puts the same two water bottles in there. One with the cocaine and, and one that's just water. Now what do you think happened this time? They didn't like the drug water. They tried it, but they didn't like it. In fact, they consumed a quarter of the amount of the drug water as a rat by itself had tried. None of them died. 
they were all okay at the end of the experiment. Um, and, and this is what the guy writing the article said about, I guess this is the professor who conducted the experiment. Professor Peter Cohen uh, argues that human beings have a deep need to bond and form connections. And, and so I should say what they did was they looked at the rats and they looked at similar experiences with people. And so he writes, uh, human beings have a deep need to bond and form connections. It's how we get our satisfaction. If we can't connect with each other, we will connect with anything we can find. The whir of a roulette wheel or the prick of a syringe. He says we should stop talking about addiction altogether and, and instead call it bonding. A heroin addict has bonded with heroin because she couldn't bond as fully with anything else. So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is human connection. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is human connection. Isn't that fascinating? Now, I wouldn't want to deny that there's a, a, a chemical component to addiction, but what if what we're really missing in our lives, what if underlying our addictions, what if underlying our phoniness and fakeness is a lack of connection? A lack of connection with other people? and a lack of connection with God. And what if instead of trying so hard to find his will for my life, or to get him to make my life better, or what if instead of trying so hard to jump through all the Christian hoops and I'm supposed to jump through and do all the right things, what if I just concentrated on getting to know him better, on connecting with him so that I could finally see how much he loves me? And don't you think that would really change everything? Well, how do we put all that into practice? I want to suggest two things real quick. Uh, number one, you've got to get to know the people in this room. One, because you need connections with other people. You need relationships with other people. But two, because we can actually lead one another into deeper relationships with God. You don't, you don't have to go try to do that by yourself. And secondly, one of the things I mentioned two weeks ago in my You Need to Read the Bible sermon uh, was that, that we ought to work on the discipline of meditation, of, of not just kind of reading our chapter for the day and then going and praying you know, for Aunt Susie or whatever, although it's fine to pray for but actually to, to take what you've read and to meditate and think about and Pray over and through that. You know, the last, uh, to be honest with you, the last couple of weeks have kind of been rough and, and dry for me spiritually, and I was kind of thinking through, how did I get here? And, I, and often what happens with me is if I have a little bit of time off, like I did around Christmas, um, one of the things that lapses is that meditation. I kept reading the Bible because I had to because I'm teaching a study on read through the Bible in a year, all right? So I couldn't. It's like, oh, I've got to read it even on vacation. But, but, but what lapsed, I was checking that box off, but I wasn't meditating on Christ and what I had read there and soaking in all of that. And so I began to lose a sense of where my identity is and how much Jesus loves me and where I really find fullness. Maybe you've lost a little bit of that too. Maybe you've lost a little bit of that too. 
Jesus still loves you. Jesus still loves you. Jesus still loves me. But he longs for you and he longs for me to know and experience more and more of his love. And that's the only way you're going to lose that sense of phoniness in your Christian life is if you really experience his love. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I, I, I pray again that you would simply uh, today make us aware of how much you love us. Help us to sense it in the, in the sermon. Help us to sense it in the songs that we sing. Uh, help us to sense it in the supper. Help us to sense it in our hearts uh, that we are loved by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.